Okay, Tom. Tony Collette squad. Yes, wearing the hat you. today. <laughs> she was nominated for this. <laughs> she was nominated for this. Yes. Um, I'm Aaron. I'm Tom. This is Baby's First Watch List, the podcast ending spooky season with a ghost story. Yeah. That's right. I We're thought it was going to be our only one, but we ended up doing The Shining. So that's co- that's ghosty. To uh, we are covering the cultural phenomenon of the late '90s that was The Sixth Sense. Yes, a classic. This movie was written and directed by Philly's own M. Night Shyamalan, and yeah. he will let you know. The biggest um, ovation I've ever seen at a 76ers game was when he came out. Him and Biz Marquee. R.I.P. to Biz R.I.P. Biz. Yep. Um, so M. Night Shyamalan is known for movies like Unbreakable, Signs, and Split. I kept it nice. Lady in the Water. <laughs> <laughs> the Happening. The Village. <laughs> um, the Sixth Sense was his third film after Praying with Anger and Wide Awake, but it's really seen as his breakout movie. For sure. The first, the second one had like Rosie O'Donnell in it, and it was supposed to be like it was like a family drama but it was supposed to be like i don't know for some reason it didn't like the studio took it over and he like kind of he was sort of fed up with the studios after that second movie and that makes sense because it was like a stipulation that if he if you bought the sixth sense he had to direct yes so i guess that makes a lot of sense there starring bruce willis tony collette and Haley joel osment whose uh film debut do you know uh, I do, but I forgot. 1994's Forrest Gump. Yes, yes. The Sixth Sense was shot by Tak Fujimoto, who was also the cinematographer for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Silence of the Lambs, Gladiator, and Philadelphia. Hmm. That's an illustrious group of movies. He And he did a lot more, too. He um, worked a lot with John Hughes. He worked a lot with a lot of different directors. And he's now a retired cinematographer he actually uh as a child was in an internment camp in california wow mm-hmm. um it's crazy during that world war ii it's crazy that people that were born in that were in like world war ii or were around in the 90s and like they still are like george takei yeah. like so there's it's crazy how like recent that was yeah it's it's crazy um editor andrew monsheen's credits include many collaborations with Sidney lumet and he was nominated for this movie for the Oscar. Um, the music was by James Newton Howard, who has a Grammy. He has an Emmy. And although he doesn't have an Oscar, he has nine Oscar nominations from the hundred plus movies that he has scored. Wow. He also was part of Elton John's band in the 70s and early 80s. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll look him up a little bit more. I didn't want to write down everything that he did, um, but... He had so many hits um, and he worked. So like he is with uh, Hans Zimmer for doing The Dark Knight. Like oh, he wow. worked with Hans Zimmer yeah. on that. He did uh, Pretty Woman, The Fugitive, Space Jam, Dinosaur, Peter Pan, King Kong, The Dark Knight, which he composed with Hans Zimmer, Hunger Games, Fantastic, Be- Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Jungle Cruise. He... Uh, he worked on all of Francis Lawrence's movies since I Am Legend. He scored eight of M. Night Shyamalan's films, starting with The Sixth Sense. Um, and he's just, he does so much. That is wild. Yeah. His latest Oscar nomination is for News of the World, which we watched. Yes. Um, and he was married to Rosanna Arquette for one year. Hmm. He also toured with uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. No Young? um hold on oh man it doesn't say young nope (laughs) it's crucial information (laughs) and he also worked a lot with toto especially on the movie dune oh really yes he he blessed the reins i suppose he did he does a lot um pretty crazy right yeah and he's only he's 72 so like he's He's got time he's got time to do more get that oscar um so yeah that's pretty neato um the movie, The Sixth Sense, has a, I think, perfect runtime of 108 minutes. It's It doesn't overstay its welcome at all. It's perfect. Um, it was released in August 1999. Um, it was a critical and commercial success. The movie made $672.8 million on a $40 million budget. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. It was the second highest grossing film of the year after 1999. Um, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. That's correct. Did you know that or did you see it? I did it? know that. 
Um, after its release to video, The Sixth Sense was at that time. Um, I don't know what beat it or if anything beat it didn't say it was at that time the top video rental of all time. Oh, yeah. I don't know the answer. Which to that. makes a lot of sense because it's one of those word of mouth movies for sure. Absolutely. Um, this well, came, it came out around the same time as another famous word of mouth movie, The Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which also I don't I wouldn't call The Blair Witch Project as like having twists. But um, no. Well, kind of, but not really. Definitely a uh, kind of scary, spooky. One one that was spread by. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. Yeah. Because it had come out in, it came out at Sundance that year in like April or whatever. And then this came out, what month did you say? August. August. Yeah. So it was coming out wide release around this time. Mm -hmm. Blair Witch. Um, The Sixth Sense spent five weeks at number one at the box office. Um, Again, that's because people would see it, tell their friends, you have to go see this. I'm not going to tell you what happened. Yep. And then everybody would see it. Um, The movie received six Academy Award nominations for Best Picture, Director, Editing, Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. So, Haley Joel Osment and Tony Collette. Unfortunately, no Bruce Willis, which is a shame. It's a shame. He was excellent in this. I'm not excellent. like the I'm not a card carrying member of the Bruce Willis fan club generally, uh, but I thought he was great in this. I love I love him in this. Um, and in 2013, the Writers Guild of America named it number 50 on the 101 greatest screenplays ever written. Wow. Yep. Um. Hold on one second. I have like another question that I just thought of that I want to write down. Um, We're working on the fly, people. I have a whole ton. I just thought of one right here. I have a ton too. Um, so I can give you my NJ connection if you want. Yeah, let's do it. So the easy one is not quite NJ. No. So M. Night Shyamalan's from Philly. This is like, besides Rocky, maybe the most Philly movie ever. And, wrote, and Silver that. Linings Playbook. <laughs> I wrote that. Um, like, when I think of Philly movies, those all stick out to me. Um, and so, Philadelphia is very close to where we live. It's definitely the easiest city for us to go to. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with the geography of, like, the Northeast United States, Philadelphia is much closer to South New Jersey than New York City is. Yes. Exactly. But when you think of New, when you think of New Jersey, most people probably think of either the shore or North Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is not where we are. Right. And so we're we're really close to Philly. So whenever we see something Philadelphia related, especially me because I grew up in this area, it's very much like oh, there's us. Yeah. Even though <laughs> it's technically on the other side of the river, but I do have a closer NJ connection. Okay. Do you know? Not not actually New Jersey. No, this is actually New Jersey. Oh, okay, because you said closer. I thought you meant. <laughs> no, 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 an actual New Jersey connection, which is actually farther than Philadelphia. I don't know. You don't know? Is it Bruce Willis related? Yes, it is. Is he from somewhere or he like? He Go ahead. grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. So Bruce Willis was born in West Germany. but um, Oh, yeah, right. Because his dad, I think, was a military or something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but he grew up in his father's hometown of Carney's Point, New Jersey, okay. which is super south. Like, oh, not, the other way. I was yeah, thinking up north. Yeah, no. Not, not quite like Cape May, but like very close. Yeah. South. Um, he graduated from Pensgrove High School. He worked as a security guard at the Salem Nuclear Power Plant, wow. Salem, New Jersey. And going the opposite way, he attended Montclair State University. Maybe. I think that's what I knew. And I, yeah, right. Because that's up north. Makes a lot of sense to me because Bruce Willis gives hardcore New Jersey energy. <laughs> and he he has always said that he um, uh, grew up in a very blue collar environment and that his family is all very blue collar. So all of it tracks for me. It makes sense. And it feels very like him in the sixth sense makes so much sense to me. Just his demeanor and his accent or everything just fits. And so it makes sense that he's from South Jersey. Shyamalan wrote the movie with him in mind. Yeah. And it makes sense. If Shyamalan is a Philly person, he grew up with like, I think it was like Jaws, Die Hard. And like he had like three different posters on his wall when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And... Um, obviously Bruce Willis was on his wall, right? And not when he was a kid. I guess when he was a little bit younger. Yeah. Uh, and so he specifically was like, "I want to write a movie for that guy." I had him in mind when, and it was it's he's a perfect fit. And it's funny that he was a perfect fit because his previous roles were nothing like this. No, he was no. very like wisecracky Bombastic, and yeah. yeah. Well, I heard that M Night Shyamalan was in between two people when he wrote it. Okay. Either. <laughs> Bruce Willis and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Philly guy. You, yeah, that makes sense. That fits. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Not Will Smith. 
No, no, only the one we've seen. DJ Jazzy, Jeff, the one we've seen at live. The picnic. Yeah. Um. So that's what I've got on the Sixth Sense. I personally love this movie. The fir- before you get into the your summary, I'll talk about my experience yeah, with go the for Sixth it. Sense. I watched it at a friend's house. I had somehow been able to escape the um the twist. Like I really tried to not know it when I first saw the movie. And so I was successful because the internet isn't, it wasn't what it is. Yeah. Now. I would, I had no shot. Um, I didn't watch it till later. Yeah. And I remember I watched it and then it was at a sleepover. I think it was for like field hockey or something. And when the twist happened, I just started crying. I was sobbing for like 10 minutes. I couldn't help it. It was a very emotional movie. You think of it as like, oh, it's scary and it's got the cool twist in it, but it's a lot deeper than that. And and something just hit me. This is one of those movies that I think works in the sense of it's a, it's a drama first and a horror movie second. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of movies that have taken that sort of formula. Um, not that this was the first movie to ever do that, but if you look at the Hereditaries and Midsummers, like the Ari Aster stuff, that pulls directly from something like this, mm-hmm. where it's not... Hereditary is a family drama styles styled as a horror movie. Midsummer is a breakup movie styled as a horror movie. Right. It's I find those to be very effective when they're done right. More compelling than a just traditional horror for the sake of horror, scaring people. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then this movie is also my dad's claim to fame is that he guessed it before the end. Yeah. He says it, and my mom was there, and he said. I know the twist, but I don't want to tell you right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that's how it went. <laughs> I think he did tell her more yeah. beforehand, though. Um, but, yeah, that's his claim to fame as he knew. I did not. I did. Which is so dumb because, like, it's so obvious once I'm gonna, you know it. I'm going to talk about this later. What makes this twist so great is that it's so obvious. That's what makes it awesome. I hate when it's like, oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Or like, so. oh, there was that one little thing at right. that one moment. It's like, no, this is telling it's you. Very it's very obvious. It's screaming at you in every single scene. Yeah. And you still didn't get it. Like most people still didn't get it. I, I had already like I, I watched it like two or three years ago for the first time or maybe, maybe it was like five years ago now. Um, but I knew I had already known the twist, so I can't uh, weigh in on that aspect of it. All right. So let's get a. I'll do the taglines first. Okay. There's three good ones. <laughs> One of them is, there are ghosts walking among us looking for help, dot, dot, dot. They have found it. <gasps> That's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other one, the main one, was not every gift is a blessing. That's a great tagline. Yes. And finally, one that I think is like maybe the scariest one, do you believe now? <laughs> That's scary. That is a scary one. They're all scary. Yeah. Uh, then there's also like one touch two sight three blah 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 it's like the mm. sixth sense oh. <laughs> wow that's pretty good yeah all right so i will do the plot summary now i have not read this so we're gonna see how it goes okay so, good luck shout out wikipedia shout out to my editors out there <laughs> <laughs> all right while philadelphia-based child psychologist malcolm crow played by bruce willis Great is home name. yeah is home with his wife anna played by olivia williams vincent gray shockingly played by donnie Wahlberg. A former patient Malcolm had treated breaks into their house. He accuses Malcolm of failing him before shooting Malcolm and then himself. And this is right as Malcolm has just received an award from a uh, like a psychologist organization. Um, months later, Malcolm begins working with Cole Sear, played by uh, Haley Joel Osment, a nine-year-old boy who reminds him of Vincent. He feels he must help Cole to rectify his failure to help Vincent and reconcile with Anna, who has become distant and cold and is suffering from depression. Cole's mother, Lynn, played by Tony Collette, worries about Cole, especially after seeing mysterious signs of physical harm. At a birthday party, when bullies see that Cole is terribly scared of a cupboard, they lock him in, causing him to scream in terror about someone seemingly inside with him. Following this, Cole finally confides to Malcolm that he sees dead people who walk around like the living do, unaware that they are dead. Hard cut to Bruce Willis's face. (laughs) (laughs) Malcolm thinks Cole is schizophrenic and considers dropping his case. However, I don't know where, like, why that. Or anyway, however, after listening to an audio tape from a session with Vincent, Malcolm hears a man begging for help in Spanish when Vincent is supposed to be alone in the room, suggesting that Vincent had the same ability. He realizes that Cole is telling the truth and suggests that he try to communicate with the ghosts and help them finish their business. 
One night, Cole discovers Kira Collins, a female child ghost vomiting. He finds out who she is and goes with Malcolm to the funeral reception at her home. He says, I loved the OC. (laughs) In her room, Kira gives Cole a videotape that he hands to her father, which reveals Kira's mother poisoning her food, alerting her father to the reality of her death, and saving her younger sister from the same fate. Yeah, that part was like, (gasps) that was crazy. Now that Cole is doing better socially and personally, it marks the end of his sessions with Malcolm. Before parting ways, he suggests that Malcolm try speaking to Anna while she is asleep to ensure he can express his feelings. While stuck in traffic, Cole tells Lynn his secret. When she does not believe him, he tells her his late grandmother visits him and describes details from his mother's childhood that he could not have known. Shocked, Lynn finally accepts that her son has a special ability. Malcolm returns home to find Anna talking in her sleep, asking Malcolm why he left her, much to his confusion. When she drops his wedding ring, he notices that he's not wearing it like he thought he was. I was going to not wear it. <laughs> as a, mine is a joke. <laughs> Recalling what Cole told him about dead people only seeing what they want to see, and after locating his gunshot injury, Malcolm finally realizes that he did not survive being shot by Vincent and has been dead the entire time while working with Cole. Malcolm quickly comes to terms with the fact that he's a ghost, And after he tells Anna that he loves her and things will get better, his business with both her and Cole is complete and he happily departs. The Sixth Sense. Wow. Tight. That movie rocks. I'm sorry. It's so good. It is great. I mean, M. Night is just cooking in this movie. Oh, yeah. He's firing on all cylinders. He is cooking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's see here. So, first of all, okay, the Donnie Wahlberg problem. Problem. (laughs) Because I... All right. So, Donnie Wahlberg, yes, plays the vincent vincent who um apparently there's another vincent gray with an a and if you're looking for him on wikipedia and you accidentally put in an e it brings you to the sixth sense because at the top it's like if you're looking for vincent gray click here <laughs> um so he does not look like donnie Wahlberg. no in this movie so i had sort of the opposite of what normally happens when i watch movies a lot of times I get this weird filing cabinet in my brain thing going on where, and you can attest to this, yes. I'll be watching something and I'll be like, oh, that's so-and-so. That's Hayden Panettiere's cousin. Yeah. Like, I'll just say like random, yeah. random stuff. And then I'll be like, yeah, they were on a show called Suburgatory. Yeah. Back in 2016. Bizarre Vark. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> like some of the, like some things I don't understand. It just, it pulls out of my brain. The second I see somebody. This was the opposite. I was like, I think Donnie Wahlberg plays the guy who, you know, kills Bruce Willis. And then I'm watching the movie and I see him. I'm like, oh, that's not him. That's so weird. I thought it was him. No, it was him. Yeah. <laughs> he lost like an absurd amount of weight for this role for some reason. Why? I don't know. <laughs> he didn't need to. I don't know. He lost like 30 pounds for this role. He did not need to do that. <laughs> but good for him. Um, all right. So let's see here. Now, this movie did not win any Oscars, but it was nominated for, like, a lot of the big ones. Yes. Um, what do you think, if you had to choose one, it doesn't have to be one of the nominated things, what was done best in The Sixth Sense? To me, it's the screenplay. The screenplay, which is, like, looking back at it in 2023 is kind of, like, hilarious to say about M. Night Shyamalan because I haven't, I'll admit, I haven't seen a lot of his movies, but I he feel got like memed a lot. The knock on him is the screenplays, mm-hmm. generally, and sometimes the acting, like in uh, the happening. What? No. no. <laughs> what? 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 No. no. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, but I think it's the screenplay. I think it's it's a perfect screenplay. It's a perfect like movie screenplay. Yes. Like there's nothing. It hits everything. It's got your symbolism. It's got your you know your themes that it really touches on well. It's got a, a great twist. It's got it's an excellent screenplay. I agree with you. I think the screenplay is just like perfect, tight, and everything is for a reason. Yeah. And it's one of those things. I He gets sort of a little bit of flack for being too heavy-handed. I think the heavy-handedness to is its benefit. It's perfect for this movie. Yeah. Because like I said, what makes the great twist is, a for, first of all, that it matters in the movie. Mm-hmm. And second of all, that it's literally in front of you in every single scene. Yes. He's telling you over and over and over again what the twist is. Well, and I also think that there's some, sometimes it's nice to have a traditional movie, like movie talk and movie twists and all that kind of stuff in there. I yeah. think that's nice. doesn't all have to be subversive and like different and unique. But this was at the time too. I know. It was, like it yeah. had the, it had the structure, but like this movie's different from 
it it fit really well in that in that year. I I, I read a book, um, not to brag. Yeah, but wow, congratulations. It's called like best movie year ever. I think I mentioned it on the podcast before. Uh and it's about nineteen ninety nine in movies and it just fits so well with the sort of other types of movies that were coming out that year. Mm-hmm. Um it's hard for me to really explain, but it just does. Like it's 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 draws from movies of the past, but it also adds its own twist on it. Like American Beauty kind of did the same thing. There's a bunch of those movies from that time. In a more obvious way, Star Wars did by literally taking something from the seventies and making a sequel to it in the nineties. But mm-hmm. um fight club like there were just these unique movies coming out that year mm-hmm. and um even like election mm-hmm. there's a bunch of movies that came out that year that are just i don't know did something a little different yeah i, I think that's they fun. didn't actually know what to do with this movie the studios because they put it at the end of august which at the time was like the dead zone dead for zone. summer blockbusters yeah and they don't also don't really put out summer blockbusters that are I don't want to say thoughtful because every now and then there's a there's a good one that comes out in the summer, but it's not Hollywood's mo to do that. Mm-hmm. And so they were just like, I don't know, we'll like kind of put it towards Halloween, but it's not really a Halloween movie, even though this is literally coming out on Halloween. But like, they didn't really know what to do with it, and they put it at the end of August, which ended up, I think, working to its benefit because there was nothing else out. Yeah, and it, it not that it wouldn't have been a phenomenon either way, but it definitely helped that there wasn't exactly the strongest competition coming out at the same time. Yeah. And then you can go during the dog days of summer to your local Regal Burlington <laughs> and sit in the air conditioning. And your dad can guess the twist. Yep. He saw it at home, <laughs> but yes. Um, good. All right. So is this movie still scary? It's really not. There's, there's scary jump scares. I, I didn't find it as bad as I did back in the day. Um, no, I think, well, the one that, the ones that scare me are like the when the guy's screaming in the cupboard. Yeah. And like when the ghost just walks past the screen. Like it's yeah. like real tight on the screen. Apparently, I read <laughs> that in the D- one of the DVD versions, if you leave the menu on for too long, a ghost comes by the screen. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> so like if you fall asleep watching it, you just hear like this like like d- dissonant piano note as the as the ghost walks by the screen. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's actually really funny. I think it is scary. Yeah. Not like horrifying scary, but I think there's scary moments. It's very tense. There. Um, what's your favorite Tony Collette role? Hmm. So she's got this, she's got Knives Out, she's got um mm-hmm. Hereditary. Mm-hmm. What else does she have? Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. That movie that one In movie, her shoes. Little Miss Sunshine was a failure of marketing for me when I was watching all the Steve Carell movies that yeah, were coming out around that like time. I thought it was going to be you hilarious. Rewatch it. It's really good. I'm sure I'll like it. I didn't like it at the time. Um, Nightmare Alley. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm thinking of ending things. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in About a Boy, which I didn't see. Oh, that's so good. I would say, I mean, Hereditary is the one that she gets like the most praise for nowadays. Yeah. So I'm just gonna, if you've seen Hereditary, you get it. I did not. Um, I watched Lilo and Stitch instead because I was too scared. Uh, <laughs> that is true. I watched Hereditary by myself, but. In Hereditary, she's this type of character, but she's a little bit more put together, mm-hmm. and it sort of makes her unraveling more effective. Mm-hmm. And that's another one, like I said, that is a family drama first and a horror movie second. And she's a great mom for those types of. It's kind of crazy because she was like young in this sixth sense. She was in her twenties, right? Yeah, and she's always just been the same age to me. Yeah, even like about a boy, she plays a mom. But that's a mom. She's a mom with major mental health issues yeah. in About a Boy. It's a very, very great role in a great movie. Um, she was in The Hours also. Oh, she was? Yeah, she, we got to watch The Hours. For this? We watched The Hours. Oh, we watched The Hours? The Hours is the one with like Virginia, oh, yeah. Virginia Wolf and then like the... Did I like it? I think we liked it a little bit. It was Meryl, Julianne Moore, and Nicole Kidman. And yeah. it was the three separate stories. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I liked it that much. Yeah, it was fine. It was good. Um... And then I loved her in Knives Out. She was awesome in Knives Out. Really funny. Yeah. She was a, the whole cast is great in Knives Out, as we've talked about. But she's like one of my favorites. Yeah. Of the thrombies, like her and Don Johnson, I think are amazing. Oh, yeah. Don Johnson's great. Um, And also, she played Jesse Plemons' mom in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and it was a trippy scene because it's like everything's changing and like. Again, mom vibes. Yeah. Is she not a mom in any of these? Huh? I feel like she's always a mom. She had a kid in Knives Out, right? Yeah. Was the was it the weird kid? No, it was uh, the uh, the girl from Thirteen Reasons oh, oh. Why. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I forget her name, but yes. 
Yeah. Uh, Catherine Langford. Yes. She um, was in Enough Said also. Oh, that's a great movie. She might not have been a mom in that movie. All right. Um, how about favorite Bruce Willis role? Favorite Bruce Willis role. Well, I think he's he might be the best in this. He's so good. Uh, I thought that... I said to you when... The, the scene when after... Cole is in the play and like everyone loves him and like the whole thing and he his story is kind of over he's talking to Bruce Willis on the stairs of the school mm-hmm. and Bruce Willis he tells Bruce that you know Malcolm to go back and talk to his wife and as Malcolm's walking away like Bruce Willis he just has this look on his face and I was like it's a shame that not a shame but it's kind of crazy that Haley Joel Osment got all of the shine coming out of yeah. this movie because Bruce Willis I think absolutely carried the movie i think he was the best part of the movie Mm -hmm. to be honest i agree with you um no disrespect to the other you know to the two no i loved bruce willis in this um what about pulp fiction pulp fiction so i don't think of him when i think of pulp fiction i obviously think of uh travolta samuel L. jackson uma thurman uh Mm -hmm. he's not really in my i liked him in sin city okay he yeah i haven't seen that movie in a long time but the the style of it was just one of those things that drew you know like the graphic novel style of it I I loved and I thought he was great in that movie. There's a couple '90s movies that he's in that I haven't seen that I know are his big ones like Twelve Monkeys, The Fifth Element, and Armageddon. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those either. I definitely want to see Armageddon. Well, Die Hard, of course. Die Hard. We well, of course, Die Hard 90s, is like one of my faves for him. I just wanted to make sure we got that in there. Um, and then. He was in Moonrise Kingdom, but I didn't like that movie. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, oh, what about when he was Spike in Rugrats Go Wild, the movie? I did love that movie. <laughs> uh, and this is kind of cool, too. He made his Broadway debut in 2015 in the stage adaptation of Misery, which he would be perfect oh, yeah. for that. That's awesome. I'm, we talked about that during yeah, the Misery episode, the but it's a fun... Do you remember who the who the Kathy Bates role was? Um, I'm not sure. We talked about it. Uh, hold on. Productions... Oh, they started a. They did a Bucks County Playhouse. Oh, shout out version. If you listen to our Rocky Horror 2012, episode, 2012, and then it transitioned to. Uh, oh my gosh, it was Bruce Willis and Laurie Metcalf. Yeah, I bet that <gasps> was awesome. Oh, that sounds so good. At Bucks County Playhouse? No, <laughs> no, but uh, it when it moved to Broadway, they had a yeah. The ba- they brought out the big guns, and then I do want to see Moonlighting, which is a comedy drama he was in. I want to see Looper. Oh, and Looper. I, I wasn't a big, uh, well, as I mentioned, Bruce Willis or Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan, so that didn't really interest me when it came out. But I've heard it's good. I, I would, I would want to watch it. Yeah, definitely. If we did like some sort of like sci-fi, yeah. kind of. And deal. you know, right now, obviously, Bruce Willis is retired. Yes. Because he has a, he had it was aphasia, mm-hmm. and then it <clears throat> uh, developed into deme- dementia. A dementia diagnosis, and it's really sad. Yeah. But we have so many good things that we haven't seen and honestly so many bad things which i also find fun sometimes yeah exactly <laughs> he, he gave us a lot a lot of movies yeah so i'm excited to see and unbreakable more. and which unbreakable, we didn't even mention which, which is i the, haven't seen i loved unbreakable and he was at the end of split he was oh that's a spoiler a little yeah. bit <laughs> but split was really good well, and then he was in glass after the fact oh, okay yeah i really liked split i thought it was gonna be so dumb split I liked it when I watched it, but looking back on it, I'm like, Ugh. okay, but it's especially it with a, the way that we treat, like how, how we should be treating people's per, uh, portrayals mental of mental health. illness. I understand that, but I mean, James McAvoy was really entertaining. He was really good, and the movie was like a really entertaining movie. Yeah, but you know, I do agree with Anya you on Taylor that. Joy was in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is it possible in the year 2023? I have a take on this. Is it possible to not know the twist of the Sixth Sense? It's possible, but you have to get knocked out with a sledgehammer until you see the movie. <laughs> I think it's more and more possible every year. Because there's more content, you mean? There, yes. I don't think it's that... It's so much like, harder for things to go viral. Exactly. Like, And I'll tell you something. Like, We think everyone knows it, but they don't. Even back in 2013, 10 years ago, when I did in my student teaching a film class, the kids didn't know the twist. Really? In 2013. It, it also was... Somebody messaged us on... I think it was uh, Movie Friends. Messaged us on Instagram about this and said basically that it was the perfect movie to capture this moment in time. But it, it actually like... It kind of... I don't know if it ever really made it past that time. Like for us it did because we were around when it was like a huge, huge right, deal. Right. But yeah, to your point, like I'm not sure if it really... 
captures people nowadays or or stuck with people not that it doesn't capture them if they watch it yeah but that it hasn't necessarily been a it was a cultural like flashpoint in 1999 mm-hmm. and after everything was referencing it but like people probably know i see dead people but to your point yeah i don't know if i don't know how much it's latched on in 2023 yeah so i i actually am very interested in that i might ask around and see but if this came out in 2023 and became like a big thing it would probably be hard yes definitely yeah well, what are some of your favorite twists in movies? Oh, man. That's, that's a tough one. That's my last question. I you. actually, my question was somewhat similar. It was what makes a great twist. Well, what makes a great twist is, number one, something that there were clues and lots of breadcrumbs. Yeah. That's important to me. I hate twists where it's like hard to actually see it. Yeah. So that's a big one for me. I also think it's important, not necessarily in every case, but I find twists great when they come out of nowhere. Like this movie, the whole thing was I see dead people, but nobody knew that M. Night Shyamalan was going to add that twist at the end. Mm -hmm. But now, almost since this twist, it set off like a decade's worth of like terrible horror movie twists Mm -hmm. that just meant nothing. Yeah. So like it has to be something that grounds itself in the characters that matters as well mm-hmm. yeah so some of the ones that i wrote down for what makes a great twist are the sort of i mean we're gonna try to st- stay away from spoilers just so you don't have to skip the section but arrival yeah that's a good one. arrival had one that mattered to the characters and it mattered to the overarching narrative mm-hmm. and it didn't come out of nowhere because it's kind of a mystery movie mm-hmm. but the way that it sort of clicked in i thought was great mm-hmm. um Citizen Kane is one of the classics. Yep. Uh, what Rosebud means at the end of the movie. And it's sort of... What's great about that one is it takes the entire movie that you've just seen and it like it twists it on its head, literally. Like, there's no... It puts every action that was taken in that movie into a different light. Mm-hmm. Sort of like this. Sort of like The Sixth Sense. Yep. Um, another one that I have is Gone Baby Gone. Yep, that's a good one. Which, when you find out where the baby gone, uh, it's a... <laughs> It's an interesting twist, and again, it fits with the characters, and it's not something that's expected. Mm-hmm. Did Ben Affleck direct that? Um, I think maybe. He, I think he directed it. Yeah. Um, and the other one I have is another one of the classics, Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That one we can spoil. <laughs> uh, yeah. If we're spoiling it, then you probably shouldn't be listening to a movie podcast. Yes. Uh, that one, because a lot throughout the first movie and a half, movie and you know, three quarters, you hear about Luke Skywalker's father and how Darth Vader killed him and uh, how he was, you know, he was a great Jedi and then all of a sudden he was gone and, like, then you find out that, oh my God, Darth Vader is the father. And that, again, reframes the entire first two movies, mm-hmm. which Empire's my favorite, uh, which is, I don't think is an uncommon opinion, but uh, that one, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. That's that, that might be my favorite, actually. That's a classic. All right, here's some other ones. Remember me. <laughs> oh, well, I actually wrote that down for what does not make a good twist. <laughs> it's not a good twist. Um, Shutter Island, I thought, was a good one. Uh, yeah, the first time. I liked it the first time. I didn't love it the second time. Um, what about Gone Girl? Gone Girl, there's like so many twists, but the, the big, the big one. one is great. I love that movie. I love Gone Girl. Um, okay, how about Soylent Green? Uh, that is the food one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about Coco? Yeah, Coco. That's a good one. Um, Coco was one where it was like, yeah. Like, I wasn't, like, shocked by that one. <laughs> no. Um, Atonement has a really good twist in it. Okay. I don't know if you've seen Atonement. I haven't. It's really good. I have the book, and I haven't seen the movie How either. about a classic, Planet of the Apes? Yes. Yes. That one is, like, I haven't seen the original, but that one, it's, like, I would wonder what the context is, because that's, like, okay. But... <laughs> yeah. The Others... Yeah, the others is 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 a great one. We got to rewatch the others. Psycho. Yep. Um, Fight Club. Fight Club. Oh, Usual Suspects. Oh, Usual Suspects is a great one. That's another great one. How about Searching? Searching, yeah. That was a good movie. That was a good movie. It was one of the first that I remember watching that was told through like entirely through a computer screen, mm-hmm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. 
And then you got your your Jordan Peele movies. Get Out, yeah, I was just thinking. Get Out is an excellent one. That's honestly Get Out reminds me a lot of Sixth Sense in terms of the screenplays being like everything matters, yeah, and everything's leading you into that one big point, and everything has something to say, and everything's important. Yeah, I I really like that. Memento. Memento, yeah, seven. Oh yeah, what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Um, yeah, there's so many good ones. The Prestige. Nolan had a few in there. Yeah, Prestige. Saw. Saw. Saw X just came out recently. Yeah, I, I won't watched, be watching that. I haven't watched any since Saw 5. <laughs> yeah, lots of really good ones. I like movies with twists. People love twists. I people, love twists. People love a twist, but it's got to be It's got to be good. It's got to be good. I get mad when it's like convoluted or doesn't make sense or whatever. Or it's the end of Remember Me. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that movie, though. If you look up worst movie twists, the 10 stupidest twists of all time, it's got to be on here. Oh, it's got to be number one. I'm sorry. It's number four. Yeah. Uh, number one is not a movie that I've heard of. Um, But yeah, the number 23 is on here. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah, those are some good twists. That's all I got. All right, what do I got? We we overlapped a little bit. Um, does it bother you that in this movie Tony Collette got rid of her Australian accent but didn't go full Philly? Um, I think she went pretty Philly. Well, I'm thinking like Kate Winslet. Oh, Philly. you're thinking like Mare. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going go to the Wawa, get some water. Water, what do you want? Water, yeah. What do you want? W U D D E R. Hey, can you get me some water at the Wawa? Yeah. And like, Tony Collette didn't go that far. No. She went more like Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Maybe but- she's from Brooklyn. Oh, I thought I was like Tony Collette's Australian. No, she's Australian. <laughs> uh, I noticed that, and I was like, if this was 2023, she would have, she would have, she would have, she would have gone further. She would have gone with the the little like Delco accent. Yeah. yeah, for sure. She'd be like, "Hey, go birds." Yeah, and I don't know. I a, don't know what's going on with my son over here, but we're watching the birds. This was the first movie that had the new logos for the Sixers and the Eagles in it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She's like, hey, we're not wearing Kelly Green anymore. Yeah. We're, we're not wearing... doing Kelly Green. <laughs> With this, this was like the time of the Campbell's Chunky Soup, Donovan, oh, Donovan mom. McNa- oh, I like Donovan's mom. She's really nice <laughs> with the Chunky Soups. Yeah. Hey, hey, go get yourself some water ice over there. <laughs> hey, pick me up a soft pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wish Tony would have done it. Maybe next time. Yeah. Sixth Sense too. Yeah. Do you like Haley Joel Osment in this movie? Yeah. I just kids kids in movies sometimes I'm like oh what about kids in real life I mean like if kid yeah, like, like a nine year old kid no I mean like a nine year old kid he, I thought he did a decent job of being like a weird nine year old kid no he did amazing um the Shyamalan talked about casting him and he said a couple things one thing he said was when he showed up Osmond was not only the only kid to have read the entire script. But he read the entire script five times. Yeah. And he said that Michael Sarah also um, auditioned, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, but Shyamalan said about Osmond that he was one of those few kids that auditioned that he could see had like the weight of the world in his eyes. Like mm-hmm. he just knew how to he just knew how to connect on a human level better than every other kid that auditioned. Right. And I can totally see that in this movie. Well, I know that Shyamalan originally thought of someone like kind of moodier and yeah. and like dark and sad, but yeah. and and like he's like this little cherub, but it works because he's also somebody that these ghosts are going to for help. So he needs yeah. to be somebody that seems more approachable. He's not exactly Donnie Darko, right? Exactly. It's like, dude, just chill. <laughs> Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I agree. I think he's. I think he's really good in this movie, and I think. That in terms of child acting, he's a good regular actor in this movie. Yeah, I like Haley Joel Osment in general. I think plus, he, whenever I see him pop up and stuff. Plus, your team, your team, uh, uh, nominate kids in movies. I more. am team nominate kids. He should have been the lead. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, this is one of the few where, like, the kid is not the lead. No, he's in one very of clearly supporting. Um, but yeah, I'm actually not sure what else I've seen him in other than his little mini, mini role in The Boys. Where he played a, like a washed up child medium. Smart. Um, it's fun casting. But he's been in some stuff that, that I have. Oh, he was in like Tusk. Remember that movie? Yeah. Um, Justin Long. AI, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Spielberg. Apparently, 
Jodie Foster got in touch with him after this movie, seeing all the like attention he was getting because she had been a, like a child movie star too. So mm-hmm. they, he was I, maybe one of those first people who kind of had people looking out for him when he was yeah, a kid. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I mean, we had we talked about Mara Wilson and Matilda a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. who was before this, but you know, th- there's a long a long line of child stars who went on to not have great great teenage years and mm-hmm. young adult years. But um, I don't think that he's one of them. I think no. that he did o- he did okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, I know there's a lot of them. This goes into something that we kind of already talked about. Uh, I think this has an argument to be the most Philly movie of all time. Um. Okay. Well, the, why? Because all the ghosts. Not only the ghosts, but it goes into like the history of Philadelphia. Why? Because there's that one guy with the one tooth in that <laughs> the, viral video. The guy in the viral video. <laughs> about what is it? The Sixers. Yeah. Or no, it was the Phillies. It was the Phillies. He literally had one tooth. Yes, which is very Philly. It was weird. I saw him in the Sixth Sense too. Yeah, he was one of the ghosts. He's just walking by. Well, they're talking about how, like, um, when he's talking to the teacher, and he's like, "No, they killed people here. Like, I know that they hung, they hang people here." Mm-hmm. And it's like he sort of gets underneath the the the, the veneer of mm-hmm. Philly, the facade, and the United States, and like the world in general, but uh, specifically Philly. And I think that this movie just it looks so Philly. It does very much so. Like, I mean, okay. Sh- do they really live in a brownstone in old city? Like maybe come on. maybe in the nineties, like those places are so expensive, but um, yes, I agree with you. And it's, I like that it shows Philly as like it is in a lot of parts. A lot of times Philly gets a bad rep and um, this shows it in a, in a nice way. Yeah, it does. It really does. I do. I do wish that there would be a little more, uh, uh philly attitude like i'm sorry when there was the accident nobody was cursing yeah nobody was getting out of their car yelling nobody was screaming no one was screaming there was not many honks like sorry that's not really philly to me but yeah besides that totally um okay what else we got a question on instagram from i think it was from cinema sugar and they said is M. Night Shyamalan a good actor? Sure. So in this movie, he plays, he plays a doctor. He hated his role in this movie. He cut out like most well, why of it. Didn't he, why did he give it to himself? <laughs> I mean, dude, you're <laughs> the one who made the decision. <laughs> That's like I see this all the time. Like J.K. Rowling wishes that, that Ron and Hermione ended up together. And someone's like, ain't she write the book? <laughs> like, dude, you can just cast somebody else. <laughs> so he was in... He's in almost all of his movies, if not all of his movies. And as I mentioned, I haven't seen a lot of them, but he he was good in this. I thought yeah, he was fine. He's fine. He also did this because his dad was a doctor and he wanted to kind of That's nice. pay pay homage. He was credited in Unbreakable as stadium drug dealer. And then he was the same character in Split and Glass. <laughs> oh, that's cool cuz it's the same universe. Yeah. Uh that's really cool. Yeah, no, I think he's fine. I didn't think he detracted from the movie, even though no. we, we both did the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Leo. Well, when we, we saw went, him on, <laughs> We screamed when we saw him on screen. Um, yeah, I think he's fine. All right. Anything else? Is is um, Lynn a good mom? Yes. You think so? Very much so. Okay, why? Because she puts her son above everything else. She doesn't know what to do. She's a single parent. She doesn't have her mom to talk to. She's by herself. A lot on her shoulders. She has two jobs. And she's just trying to support her and her kid. And she does a really nice job. She knows he's weird. Yeah. She knows he gets bullied. I mean, she knows that he's got know. that he's got something going on. And she can't figure it out. And she spends the whole movie trying to not necessarily figure it out. It's not like she's going... Uh, you know, on Nancy Drew's hunt to figure it out, but she's trying to support her child anyway. And I think that that's what a good mom does. Okay. Why? You don't think so? No, it's not that I don't think so. I just wanted to hear your, your thoughts on why it. What's your opinion? I think she is good. She's trying. Yeah, she's trying. That's all you can and ask. She's trying and she's not perfect. Right. Nobody which I think is, is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I had actually a lot of notes for this movie, but I'll just pick some good ones. Um, I love that Cole's fantasy in the beginning is to be picked first in kickball. Yeah. It's such a like outcast kid kind mm-hmm. of like, it's a good way to like establish that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I wrote that one of the strengths of this movie is how after the shooting, the movie still wants you to feel uneasy. Like, there's no horror stuff right after the shooting. Mm-hmm. Like, for the next, like, 20 minutes, it just doesn't let up, though. There's music. Like, the way the music is, the rustling leaves, the noirish kind of atmosphere, and it just wants you to know that something is wrong. Yeah. It doesn't tell you, and there's no, not even really any stakes at that point mm-hmm. yet. But it t- the, the movie's telling you. Um, I wrote, that's how you know he's a good kid. The dog curls up on his bed when he's not there. Yeah, that was so cute. <laughs> Also, Tommy Tomasano's cough syrup commercial bit is great. This movie's I funnier love, than I remembered. I love that. It's such a funny little one of Cole's class. One of Cole's classmates uh, in the play is he acted in the in the cough syrup commercial. I like that they actually show the commercial, and then too. they show the commercial, and he's like just a like a hacky little kid actor. It's so funny, but he gets mad at everybody else for being bad in the play. Yeah, <laughs> it's very very funny. I also laughed at the bit when Anna was. She's she sells like jewelry and she's selling the engagement ring to the to the couple and mm-hmm. it's like this beautiful expensive ring and the guy's like oh you look like a you look like a Burmese sapphire you don't need something like this and yeah. like the the dynamic between the two of them was funny. That is funny. Well, what I like too about the Tommy Tomasino, right? That's how you say his name. I, I thought it was Tomasano, oh, but Tomasano. who cares? What's funny about that too is that Haley Joel Osment's character Cole is acting the entire time because he has to act like he doesn't see these ghosts everywhere yes. in his life. Yes. So like it's funny that like Tommy had this one tiny little one liner <laughs> in a in a commercial and he's terrible and he's seen as this big actor but really Cole's acting the entire time. <laughs> I really like that little aspect of it. And then when it's his turn to shine in the play at the end, Cole does amazing. Yes. Because he's been acting this whole time. People said that the um the Oscar reel scene was the shopping cart scene with uh, Tony Collette. I and, love that scene. And Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Because you get like the playfulness, mm-hmm. but you also get like the cloud hanging over them at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's a really sweet scene. What else? That's all my notes. I will do trivia. Yeah. All right. Tom's top five trivia. My first one. According to Michael Sarah, this was the first film he ever auditioned for. Wow. That's fun. He read for the part of Cole, and in this, uh, the scene he did was the magic trick scene with the penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he later admitted that he did it too cheerfully because he didn't read the entire script, so he didn't know that Cole was <laughs> supposed to be like a quiet kid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, number two, M. Night Shyamalan pitched the film as a cross between The Exorcist and Ordinary People. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Ordinary exactly People, Oscar it. winner. I love Ordinary People, and I love The Exorcist. When. Cole and his mother are sitting in the kitchen. There is a glass on the table that can only be bought in Philadelphia. It originally comes filled with pen-made sour cream, which is not readily available anywhere else. There you go. Number four. For this film, M. Night Shyamalan became the sixth person nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director before the age of 30. Mm. He was 29. After Orson Welles, 26, uh, Citizen Kane, 1941. Claude Lelouch, uh, 29 for A Man and a Woman, 1966. George Lucas, 29 for American Graffiti, 1973. Kenneth Branagh, 29 for Henry V, 1989. And finally, a movie we've covered, John Singleton, 24, Boys in the Hood, 1991. 24, wow. None of them have won. That's messed up, bro. Yeah, I haven't How seen How old was Damien Chazelle? Did he win yet? He didn't win yet, Best Director. Or no, did he win for La La Land? La La, I think he might have won for La La Land. How old was he in La La Land? Uh... Let's see here. I think he was around that age. 30-ish. Yeah. He was born in... So it came out in... 2017? 2016. 2016. And he was... He, I think he was 30. Oh, okay. Because he was born January 19th, 1985. Okay. Um, Close. No cigar. Yes, correct. I don't know if there have been any more since. He did win Best Director for La La Land. Uh, he, at 32... Because it was tw- 2017. Oh, okay. At 32, he is the youngest person to win the Academy Award and Golden Globe for Best Director. Wow, I'm so smart. Look at me. Yep. And number five. According to M. Night Shyamalan, the movie was inspired by an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark called The Tale of the Dream Tom, Girl. Yes, indeed. I've seen it, and I cried, and I was called to dinner, and I was- Maybe I that's why your dad knew like the I wasn't. Listen, I've seen it, and do you know what it's about? It's a guy and he's a high school. He wears like his letterman's jacket and he's walking through the halls. And the only person who talks to him is his sister. And you're like, why is the only person who talks to him his sister? And then you find out he actually 
died. He died. She shows him his own obituary. Yes. I was shook. I saw that Are You Afraid in the Dark episode when it came out. I was sobbing before dinner because it was really sad. And like he had a girlfriend. He had like a little necklace and stuff. It was a whole thing. And and then The Sixth Sense came out and I'm like, where have I seen this before? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I did know that. All right. So next I'm going to do the Roger Ebert review. Okay. He gave it three stars out of four. And a thumb up. Some things that he said were, he said, Bruce Willis often finds himself in fantasies and science fiction films. Perhaps he fits easily into them because he is so down to earth. He rarely seems ridiculous, even when everything else on the screen is, uh, see Armageddon, because he never overreaches. He usually plays his characters flat and matter of fact. Here, there is a poignancy in his bewilderment. The film opens with the mayor presenting him with a citation, and that moment precisely marks the beginning of his professional decline. He goes down with a sort of doomed dignity. Um, he also said, I have to admit I was blindsided by the ending. Hmm. The solution to many of the film's puzzlements is right there in plain view, and the movie hasn't cheated, but the very boldness of the storytelling carried me right past the crucial hints and right through to the end of the film where everything takes on an intriguing new dimension. The film was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, whose previous film, Wide Awake, was also about a little boy with a supernatural touch. He mourned his dead grandfather and demanded an explanation from God. I didn't think that one works. Uh, the Sixth Sense has a kind of calm, sneaky self-confidence that allows it to take us down a strange path intriguingly. Great. Yeah, I think it's fun. It's funny to see Ebert review some of these like pantheon movies mm -hmm. these like flashpoint moments to see if he got them right or wrong and he's he's yeah he's relatively right there he's in the ballpark yeah um what else what else i just have my little kind of like deep dive and a half um my one is about the use of philadelphia in this movie and a lot of it has to do with um, sort of how again how I sort of mentioned like the suppression of history so I'm reading from a uh, it was on themovieblog.com and it was written in 2019 and the title of the article is I'm ready to communicate with you now the millennial anxieties of the sixth sense and feeling alone in the city of brotherly love so it's just a blog post Um, and it's super interesting because first of all M. Night Shyamalan's father, he, ta he talked about why his family moved from India mm -hmm. and where they chose to move. And he said, his family wanted to come to the United States to live the American dream. His father especially longed to come to the United States. He said, I want to have the American dream and I want to go to Philadelphia where the Constitution, Independence, the Liberty Bell were. That was his thing. He wanted to go directly to the source of the dream, mm. which is an interesting way to look at mm -hmm. like that whole idea. So, Shyamalan is obviously a proud Philadelphian. Yep. Um, what I found to be interesting in this movie, and which this article, this blog post touches on, it obviously holds an important place in American history. It was one of the nation's first industrial centers. Um, and this author says, as such, it feels appropriate that the sixth sense touches on the idea of the erasure and suppression of history. The way in which the part is erased and uncomfortable truths are quickly forgotten. Uh, and then it talks about how um, glossing over like slavery, which we the movie doesn't like the movie, right. like basically says like Philadelphia wasn't exempt from that. Uh, this person also says the sixth sense is anchored in Philadelphia in another more direct way. A lot of art based on the city riffs on the idea of the city of brotherly love, making Philadelphia a popular setting for stories about human connection. Uh, the Sixth Sense plays to this by casting Philadelphia as a city of isolation and alienation. The film repeatedly emphasize how, emphasizes how alone Cole feels. Shyamalan uses negative space around Haley Joel Osment to reinforce the sense of distance, notably in the shots of Cole outside the schoolhouse. Mm -hmm. Shyamalan uses long takes and wide-angle shots to emphasize the space that exists between actors, especially in conversations between Cole and Lynn or Malcolm. Every character in The Sixth Sense exists apart from everybody else, separated in some fundamental way. Uh, for example, Kolk investing considerable energy into pretending to be something that he is not. Um, he presents a facade to the world masking his true self. 
Despite the fact that everybody knows the premise of the film 20 years later, Cole waits until almost an hour into The Sixth Sense to reveal that he can see dead people. The Sixth Sense is a film that is about the breakdown of communication, whether between Cole and Lynn or between Malcolm and Anna. There is a recurring emphasis on miscommunication. This is most obvious in the film's suggestion that ghosts can only talk to certain people and are ignored by others. However, it is also suggested in other ways. Uh, For example, um, Malcolm speaks i mean cole like speaks latin (laughs) which is like a bizarre thing to be doing as a kid by Mm -hmm. yourself um when he's talking about his soldiers in the church his little like toy soldiers cole Mm -hmm. says that only one of them speaks latin um and so it's again isolation and aloneness uh Rewatching The Sixth Sense, it is striking how much of the film is captured through media, how often characters point to tape recordings and video cassettes in order to explain the world around them. Malcolm listens to tapes of earlier sessions, come home, comes home to watch his wife watching their wedding video, things like that. Even at the climax, the audience at Cole's school plays a sea of camcorders. Um, and it's sort of... I like the idea that it took Philadelphia, turned the brotherly love kind of thing on its head and mm-hmm. sort of explored the inverse yeah that's interesting contrasting it with um philadelphia and my other one is about what makes this twist so great like for example i'm just telling you again as i said the twist in this movie is told to you every single scene for example and it's not done in a way that is super like under the under the radar so so Shyamalan deliberately deliberately used the color red to Depict when the world of the living and, inde- and the dead were going to cross over. Yep. If Red was in a scene where that was not the case, he would take it out or change it. The door to the church where Cole and Malcolm first interact is red. Mm-hmm. The statue Cole takes from the church has a red robe. The doorknob to Malcolm's basement is red. Cole's school uniform jacket is red. He is often approached by the dead people while at school and or wearing his uniform. Anna wears a red dress at the restaurant when Malcolm is late for their anniversary. When Malcolm is watching Anna in the shower and notices her prescription in the cabinet, it is in a red-brown container. Um, Lynn's nail polish is red when she's pointing out the ghosts on all the pictures of Cole in the hallway. Uh, Cole's free association writing is in red ink. At the birthday party, all the visible balloons are pastel-colored except the red balloon that floats up the stairway when he uh, goes up to the cupboard. Cole's wearing a red sweater when he's attacked by the spirit in the closet. His blanket at the hospital is red. Everything is red. And his hiding place is red, too. And his hiding place is red. Mm-hmm. His, like, tent. The outfit worn by Mrs. Collins at Kira's wake is bright red. Mm-hmm. She, the, what she brings to Kira is tomato soup. Mm-hmm. The bottle of pine cleaner she adds to the soup has a red cap on it. Everything is red in this movie. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is so heavy-handed, and it's so kind of like... But did you pick up on it the did first you pick time up you on watched it? it? No. No, nobody did. And, like, he's... It's almost... It's it makes it such a great twist that it's so elementary. Yeah. And this is only one thing. Like there's a bunch of little things. Like obviously Bruce Willis doesn't talk to anybody besides yeah. Cole. Like there's these there's these things that you pick up on later on. But even something as simple as the color red, when you look back, you're like, How did I not realize this? Exactly. You know? Um Yeah, so I think almost <laughs> in a way where it's so obvious that it's clever. Mm-hmm. And not obvious yeah uh yeah so i love that i love that and then again there's like i didn't even name all of the red all the red moments like there's there's 20 of them there's 25 of them uh it's crazy the one that the one that really stuck out to me was the uh the mom's dress at the wake Mm -hmm. that i think was the most obvious because everybody else was wearing black you even mentioned it i think Mm -hmm. um but yeah i love that and i love that something so somebody considered so heavy-handed can just slide it all right by you yeah um, that's it. That's all I've got. I think on the sixth sense. Do you have anything else? Um, no, I love this movie. Yeah, it's great. Uh, that being said, does the sixth sense make baby's first watch list? Yeah. Yeah. This is an easy one. Even if I didn't like is it, it PG 13. Mm, I don't think so. Cause there's, there's a lot of like gore. Oh yeah. Uh, True. But maybe it was because a lot of people saw it. Um, no, yeah, it was rated PG-13 for yeah. intense thematic material and violent images. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, so what are your takeaways? Um, I forget. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how about from a mom standpoint, you could say, um, always support your child when they're going through something, even if you don't fully understand it. Yeah. 
How about that? I think that the overarching theme, as I mentioned uh, in that little segment about Philly, is uh, communication. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're not being heard, let me know. Oh, wow. Like, I don't know. Sometimes things come and you're like, you know, you're, you're focusing on life. Mm-hmm. And then things get crossed up. You don't necessarily think about other people enough and you need to be told that sometimes i need to be told that sometimes so uh yeah i think that would be my takeaway good next week we we didn't come up with a list yet but we are i didn't we i didn't either we are going to for november be doing a comfort food month yeah so what that means is we haven't decided yet but it's either going to be literally food movies because thanksgiving and november and all that or it's going to be movies that you could watch whenever, like anytime that are like literally your comfort food movies that you could turn on when you're happy, sad, whatever. And we're going to do four of those. We're going to do, we're going to pick two each. Yes. So stay tuned to our Instagram for that. And I will post those on probably the day after this comes out, which will be on Wednesday. Um, yeah. So this was the sixth sense and we hope you enjoyed and we hope you keep following us wherever you're not following us. Um, and yeah, we will see you next week for, we don't know yet. <laughs> okay. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. See you later. Bye.